KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, good morning. This is KMTT, and today is Wednesday. Chaf Gimel Tammuz, 23rd day of Tammuz. This is Ezra Bek. And today is the completion of the first week of what is basically a war. It's amazing how if you're not actively involved, which in the past meant only soldiers, but today means about a third of the population of Israel. If you're not actively involved, so somehow your world and life doesn't change. I'm sitting here in a lunch spot, Gush Etzion, in Eretz Yisrael, and Mechleda Terzag, it's a teacher's college associated with Yeshivat HaRetzion, is having its annual Yimei Iyun Betanach. This is a huge affair, three days of lectures on Tanach from morning to evening, I think there are 10 parallel lectures and, and six sessions a day. There are, uh, there are 120, 120 shirim over the three days. And about 2,000 people show up here to spend these days immersed in, immersed in learning Torah. It's a, it's a beautiful, amazing thing. I, I actually don't participate. I just go out into the hall to watch these masses of people rushing from, from one shir, from one shir to another. They're very, very good lectures. The best, the best, the best people to speak about no, different topics in in, uh, in 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 Tanakh, but at the same time, it's very it's it's, it's a beautiful pastoral thing. I mean, Alonshfur is a very beautiful place, and people are sitting and learning Torah in every corner of this building, and the next building, and the shul, and the yeshuv, because we want enough rooms for all the different shul that are going on. And uh, forty miles from here, fifty miles from here, people are sitting in bomb shelters because the terrorists in Lebanon have not yet completed emptying out their arsenal we haven't managed to destroy their arsenal of deadly missiles one of the things that Amisal is able to do is to continue learning Torah to continue going about serving Kashbochu, living their lives even when under the threat of, of danger and the threat of war any of our hearts, our minds, our tefillot, the Torah is with the people who are actually in danger, whether the civilians or the soldiers, in the Air Force, in the infantry, in the artillery, who are actually fighting the war. Kishbochu should be with them, should grant them victory, grant Amisal victory, the man Shmo. Today's shiur, after this unusually lengthy introduction, today's shiur is a shiur in Masechet Brachot, Halacha Ve'agada, and I am the one who is giving the shiur. For today's text, taking Gemara in Brachot Tafiud, this is a, a long Gemara. The first half of the Gemara, I'd like to talk about next week. I want to talk today about the second half of the Gemara. But I have to at least discuss what took place in the first half. It's a well-known and very puzzling, very interesting story about Yeshayahu and Chizkiyahu. Yeshayahu is the Navi and Chizkiyahu is the Melech. And they weren't talking to each other. How the Gemara knows this isn't clear. The Masha explains, if you look in the Sukim that come before the Pasuk that's being described here, in Melachim Bet, Paragraf, you see that Yeshayahu uh, had sent messages to Yeshayahu, and Yeshayahu had sent messages to Chizkiyahu. They weren't talking to each other. 
And so the Gemara says as follows: I'm not going to say that. Why do you know that actually means uh, uh, the understanding, the explanation. But here they, they interpret it from the word of pshara, a compromise. So the chacham is he who knows how to do a compromise. And that was God who compromised, he, he learned, he knew how to make a compromise between shnei tzadikim. Lasot pshara ben shnei tzadikim, ben chizkiyahu liyishayahu. Chizkiyahu ma leite yishayahu gabai tahachi ashkan veliyahu da'azal gabai achav. Chizkiyahu said, Yishayahu should come to me. I'm not going to go to him. He should come to me because you see the Eliyahu went to Achav. Yishayahu said the king should come to me. We find that Yehoram ben Achav in Machut Yisrael when he needed, he was sick and he needed to see the Navi, he went to Elisha Navi. This is an interesting question in and of itself. You have here a political question of the Navi, who represents God, and the king, who represents also God. One is political power, one is pure spiritual power. So who should go to whom? It could be a very, very important question. But in any event, Kishbaruch worked it out for them. God made Chizkiyahu sick, made him suffer, he, had, he, had, he was in anguish. And then God told Yishayahu to go to Chizkiyahu, but not told him to go on a mission, which would have been against what Yishayahu wanted. He said, no, 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 go do the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim. And in the meantime, you'll have to go. So when Yishayahu came to Chizkiyahu, now what's explicit in the Perek, Perek Chaf of Menachem Bet, Yishayahu comes to Chizkiyahu sick, and he says to him, you are going to die. Take care of your household affairs, give instructions to your house, for you are going to die and you will not live. What does it mean you're going to die and also not live? You will die in this world and you will not live in the next world. In other words, you're going to really die. You're going to be wiped out in both worlds. What did I do that was so bad? Even the next world? Yishayahu answers him, Mishum Delo Asakta you are decreed for extinction because you have not engaged in reproduction. Cheskel was not married. The Mephashim explained how Chazal knew this. Cheskel's oldest son, the one who succeeded him, Menasheh, was 17 when Cheskel died. But Cheskel is going to be granted in the story we're reading now 19 years of additional life. So the assumption was that he had no wife at the time of the story. Okay, so this I'm leaving for next week. Chizkiyahu 
had not engaged, had not gotten married, not engaged in reproduction. And that is such a terrible sin that he has been decreed to die and to have no life in the world to come. So, but Chizkiel had an answer. Now we're getting to a little bit closer to the part we want to talk about. Chizkiel had an answer to Shiyal. Mishum da chazai li beruach ha-kodesh denafki minai banin de lomalo. So the reason why I didn't get married was because I saw in Ruach HaKodesh, I had a kind of prophecy that any children that I would have would be unworthy. They would be sinners. As we know, Menashe was the worst of all kings in the Davidic line. The Pasuk says in one place that the reason for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash was because of the sins of Menashe. He was a murderer and he was an idolater. He was a bad person. And, and Chizkiah had, had foreseen this. And therefore, didn't want to have any children at all. Amal lo, Yishael said to him, Bahadi kafshi derachmana lamalach. Mai de mifkedat ibai lach lemevid. Uma de nicha kamei de kutsubrichu leavid. So Yishael said to him a very, very important line, which will be our main theme next week. He said to him, In these hidden things of God, you are not to bother yourself. You have to do what you have to do. That which you are commanded to do, you should do. And what God wants to do, He will do. You do what you have to do. Certain things are not for us to to, to worry about. Okay, now I begin the point that I want to talk about now. So Chizkiah has gotten this Musa from Yishayahu. It's very effective Musa because it's backed up by the threat of death, which generally speaking... Uh, helps us to concentrate and to get our attention when when giving when giving Musa. So he switches lines completely. He says, "You're 100%. I'm going to get married." Amalei, Chizkiel says to Shayao, "Hashda, now, since you're the one who gave me this wonderful advice, havlach batach, let me marry your daughter." I'm assuming Chizkiel is serious here, and not as you might assume. This is a bit of a uh, turning the tables and being a little bit cynical. But no, I think he says, he says, Havli batach, give me your daughter. Eshad de grama sechutach didi bedidach v'nafki minai banin demalo. I'm going to marry your daughter. And maybe between you and me, we're both tzaddikim, this will correct the decree that I foresaw that my children would be rishayim. And they will be malu, they will be good children. So Yishayahu says to him, The decree has been given. Rashi explains this decree not to have a rotten son. The decree that you're going to die. If you're going to die, you're not going to be able to marry my daughter. Yishayahu had brought the nevuah. He, he was the bearer of the tidings that you will die and not live. And now Chizkiyahu answers him as follows. Amalo benamotz. Calls him by his last name, so to speak. He doesn't call me Shayal. He says, Ben Amotz, son of Amotz, Kalein Nevuatcha Vetzei, end your prophecy and leave. Kach Mikubulani Mi Beit Avi Abba. I have this tradition from my father's father. means from David HaMelech. Afilu Cherev Chadam Munachat Art Sabarosh Adam Al Yimna Atzmo Min HaRachamin. Even if the sword is placed the sharpened sword is placed on the neck of a man, he should not hold himself back from mercy, from asking for mercy. 
התמנה מרבי יוחנן ורבי אליעזר, דאמרי תחוויו, אפילו חרב חדה מונחת על צווארו של אדם אינת ומנחמים שנאמר, הן יקטלני לא היחל. איוב had said, even if he kills me, I will still uh, hope for him, hope, have hope from him, meaning from God. Okay, so here we have what I would say is a halacha. It's not quoted in Shulchanach. But David HaMelech's advice passed in down to his children and children's children, passed down from king to king. And the advice that Rabbi Yochanan and Mubaraza learned from Iov is Af al-pi shacherev chadam unachat al-tzavarosh al-adam al-yimna atzmo minarachamim. Even when the sword is already touching the skin of your neck, one should not hold oneself back from, from mercy, from asking for mercy. So I, I think this is a halacha, halacha lemaisa. What I say it's halacha. It's good advice, one should daven. The language of al-yimna atzmomen one should not hold oneself back. If it just said, even if the sword is on your neck, you should still daven, I would say, okay, it's halacha, you should always daven. But what does it mean? You should not hold yourself back from asking for mercy. I think there's an implication here that there's a habamina, there's a thought which is being denied that not merely one should be hopeful and there are people who would not be hopeful. That would be a psychological condition. I think here the statement is against a halachi condition, not a psychological condition. I would have thought that it's improper to daven. Yimnats, moment of means you want to daven, but you hold yourself back. No, no, don't do that. Why would you hold yourself back? If you're depressed, you don't want to daven, you don't think it does any good, so we should encourage you to daven. But here it's al yimnats, moment of You're coming to a person who would really love to daven, but he's, he's restraining himself. Why would he restrain himself from davening just because the sword is on his neck? I think it's clear that what we have here is an expression of a well-known religious or even human condition that admires, sees as a quote-unquote mitzvah, the quality of acceptance. At some point, one doesn't object, one doesn't fight, one doesn't attempt to overturn fate. There's a, a, an ideal of accepting, accepting fate. How do I know that's the pshat? Other than my, my reading of the line, I am not someone of Achamim. You have to remember the original statement here. The argument is between Chizkiyahu and Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu knows that Chizkiyahu is going to die. It's not that he's depressed. It's not that he's tired of praying and fighting. He knows Yeshayahu is going to die because he's a true prophet. As he had said, Nigzera Alecha Gezeira, it is fate. It's not that the Gemara is saying there's not such thing as fate. So that I would understand. Easily. The Greeks believed in fate. But we Jews, we know that everything is in the hand of God. So of course you should pray because everything is in the hand of God. But here you have a situation, there is something called what, what, what the Greeks call fate. It's not called fate, it's called the will of God. Here we know it's in the hands of God, and we know what God has decided. Because he's told Yeshayahu. And Yeshayahu was told Chizkiyahu, Ki meit ata velo techiyah, Kfar nigzera alecha gezera. And to that, Chizkiyahu says, You, Yeshayahu, are very smart. And you are a prophet of God. 
You have divine wisdom. I'm just a king. But I have a tradition that was passed down to me from Beit Avi Abba. From king to son, all the way back to David Amelech. That even if, what's the expression? It's really there. The sword is there. And he who's holding the sword, as we shall see in a second, is in fact the angel of God. You can still, and you must still, seek to change the situation. It's against acceptance at any point. Not because you're making a mistake about understanding the situation because no matter what expression in Hebrew that means your fate has been sealed means not just to say something but to sign it seal it and send it the the heavenly court has put out the edict doesn't make a difference Rachamim the mercy of God is always the last is the last word. Why does this come from David Amelach? Well, Rashi explains what's the connection David Amelach. David sheraat amalach vechabos shlufa beyado besov sefer Shmuel. V'lo mana atzmo mina rachamim. Right, we have in sefer Shmuel bet perek of David, where David Amelach is granted a vision. Not going into the details. You can look it up, read the perek. But David Amelach sees the punishment coming. And in a kind of nevuah, a kind of prophecy, he sees the angel of God with the sword in his hand. That's where the expression, So again, it's not, it's not a man's misreading of the situation. David Melech has seen the angel with the sword in his hand. And the angel is not an angel of mercy. He's an angel of destruction. And yet, David Melech immediately went and fell down before God bowed down before God and asked for and asked for mercy so this is the Kabbalah it's a tradition within the royal family and Chizkiah is saying I'm right and you're wrong I think that's the reason why the Gemara then brings a proof of Yochan Malaza from a different Pasuk because you might think it's very nice that Chizkiah said this and even that he had a tradition from David HaMelech who's a wonderful person but it loses in an argument with Yeshayahu Hanavi. I mean, how did David know it was true? So David, he, he was, a, he was a, 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 a eternal optimist. He, he went to David even though the sword was already being wielded by the angel in the sky. But he's wrong. So the Gemara says, no, 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 no. You should know. The Chazal agree. Pasuk in in Eov. That's also the reason, explanation of exactly what Chizkiah says to Yishayahu. Ben Amotz kalei nevu atcha v'tzei. He says to him, stop prophesying and go out. In other words, Chizkiah is saying, not that you're wrong, you're right, you know, you're a prophet. And you are right, and I'm saying, stop prophesying. Rachamim, the mercy of God, trumps, it overcomes the truth of prophecy. You're not making a mistake, but your whole office, the office of prophecy is only adkan, is only up to this point. Even true prophecy 
cannot lead me to lowly yachel, to not have hope. And therefore, benamot, it's a formal way of addressing him. It's almost an insulting way of addressing him. He's saying, you're not, you're not my friend Yishayahu, my prospective father-in-law. Benamot, Cease your prophecy. Turn off prophecy. Sounds like chutzpah. I don't want to hear any more prophecy. Because even prophecy cannot change the connection that a Jew has to Bachamim, to the mercy, to the mercy of, to the mercy of God. Now we, of course, halacha lemaisa, are not facing prophets, but the point is, I think, that it's a, it's a, it's a kalvachomer. That's what the Gemara is trying to say. The, you come to a point where rationally you can come to the conclusion that the fate has been sealed. All avenues of change have been closed. So the optimists among us will say, no, 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 it hasn't gotten to that point. But I think the Gemara is saying, no, no, it, it might be a rational decision. In Yeshayahu's case it was, because he knew. So even though we don't have prophets, but it's not absurd to imagine that one can realize that we've given it our best shot. person was sick, six months, a year, you've gone to the doctors, you've prayed, you've done everything you can do. It's not getting any better. One can perceive the inexorable hand of God. So it appears. The God of nature, the God who's running the world. It's not chutzpah, it's not, it's not atheism to say that one can perceive God's hand in nature and see that the wheel is turning in a certain direction. Even though we don't have Yishayahu explaining to us black on white. But it doesn't make a difference. Because even to Yishayahu, I would say, Kalein Nebuat So therefore, I will say the same thing to the doctors or to the military strategists or to whatever. A person's falling off the bridge. He's plunging to his death. He has one second of clarity. Al yimna atzmo min harachamim. Why? Two reasons. One, it's still possible. It is indeed in God's hand, and God isn't only the God of nature and process, but also the God of rachamim. And two, what I began with, al yimna atzmo min harachamim. Don't think for a second that there is any virtue in acceptance. Even if God has said, you must die, you have no obligation to say, Amen. This is an important halacha. I stress the word halacha. We don't have to agree to the decree. I think for us it's easier, well, it, it, it's easier to understand because we don't deal directly with the decrees of God. But I, I stress that the Gemara says yes, even the decree of God. But the reason why people will accept what happens in nature, they will accept an illness or, or, or poverty or, or, or some other problem is because consciously or subconsciously, religiously or, or under the disguise of non-religiously, they see it as being the hand of God. Call it faith, call it, call it goval, call it a decree, call it the decree of heaven. And then you have this human reaction which masquerades as a virtue that says we should accept it. It's wrong to fight against it. 
Because it's bigger than us. We are religious people. It's the will of God. Who fights against the will of God? It's a wrong thing to do. The Gemara says, wrong. Because God's will is not, not single dimensional. The will of God could be, in the case of Chizkiah, that he will die, but the will of God, the Rachamim will of God, God's will represents his, his wisdom, his justice. You were a bad person, therefore there's a decree against you, but there's also the just, there's also the mercy of God, excuse me, there's also the mercy of God. And to accept only half of that equation, to accept the decree of God, without turning to mercy, is not merely unwise. You could have gotten out of it. If you had prayed, you'd be saved. It's also wrong. It's also a diminution in one's relationship with God. It's a kind of Vodazara. You only have half a God. You've heard the decree of God, and you don't realize that there's always more that can be done, because God is more. God is not a machine. He's not fate, that terrible Greek-based word. It says that that which will be must be and cannot be changed. Yadut is inherently opposed to the idea that that which will be must be. It's part of the, the dispute concerning Hanukkah between the Jews and the Greeks in Hanukkah. Is there a miracle? If the wheel is turning, can it be turned back? I think if we look, we have a bracha that we say every day that basically relates to this point. The second book of Shemoneser is called Gvurot. Mighty deeds. The mightiness of God. Why is it called Gvurot? What, are, what is exemplified there? The, 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 the main point of the Bracha, the end of the Bracha, the beginning of the Bracha, and three times the middle of the Bracha is the resurrection of the dead. Then there are other examples. You, you, you support the falling, you cure the sick, you release the imprisoned, and then repeats again, and you resurrect the dead. What's the point here? It doesn't just say that God does mighty things. The mighty deeds of God are where He reverses, He reverses that which already has been decreed. So it's not God supports those who are standing. He supports those who are falling. He cures those who are already sick, meaning they're sick with a deathly disease. Those who are imprisoned, He breaks out their walls. And of course the ultimate case is to resurrect the dead. The dead are dead. As we know, in nature, life turns to death, but death never turns to life. There's nothing more inexorable, no decree that is more final than after death. In fact, in Shonesri, we do it even better than the Gemara. In Shonesri, we say, even if the Cherev is already in Tzavaro. The Gemara doesn't say that because once you're dead, you can't pray. But in fact, even death is not irreversible. Nothing is irreversible because there is no fate, there is no decree. The decree is one side of God's speech and the other side of God's speech is Rachamim and Rachamim will always have the ability to trump, to overcome any decree. No decree is final in the presence of Rachamim. I think we say this in the beginning of Shemun Esrei 
The second bracha, the first bracha says that God is our God. The second bracha says, and what does he do? The, the Chazal, when they structured Shmon Esrei, are saying, if you don't have this in your mind, you can't daven. You don't daven to God because he can help you. You daven to God because he is absolutely empowered over all processes of nature. And even though we know that the processes of nature come from him, he is nonetheless greater than that as well. Because you can be appealed to, you can appeal to Rachem, you can appeal to mercy, and that will always be greater than any other process, even those processes which derive from God Himself. And before we ask for God for anything, all those other things we're going to ask for in Shemon we have to know that. That appealing to God is essential, because it's essentially greater than everything else in the world. We are embedded in the world, but the world itself is embedded in the eternal and infinite mercies of God. So this is what Chizkiyahu says to Yeshayahu. And it's interesting how the prophet can be wrong, I think precisely because he is a prophet. Which is why he says to him, Chizkiyahu says to him, stop your prophecy and go out. But say, what does it mean go out? He's throwing him out of the room. Well, he was angry at him, he's throwing him out of the room. He's saying, go out of your prophecy. You know, a, a, uh, get out of yourself get out of your skin because the prophet because he sees the truth he sees the decree could lose sight of of Rachamim knowledge very very clear vision can be a bad thing that's why I repeat it could be that we're we're right sometimes when we see that it's all up it's all over it's not that you're a pessimist and therefore you have illusion no no you can see clearly surely Yeshayahu can see clearly. But seeing clearly is itself a distortion. Because seeing clearly you see the decree, you see the truth, but you don't see mercy. Mercy is what's after the truth. Mercy overturns truth. And those of us who see less clearly can see the mercy beyond, as Chizkiyahu could see. Those who see clearer, like Yeshayahu, can't see what's beyond. It's like you have a, a one of these one-way mirrors. So when you see a picture very clearly in the mirror, because the light is on your side of the room, you don't see anything on the other side. If there's less light in the room, and therefore you cannot see clearly, but then you see right through, right through the mirror, right through the glass, and you can see what's on the you can see what's on the other side. So therefore, Chizkiyahu actually saw further than Yeshayahu. Because Yeshayahu saw the truth clearly and couldn't see something that was, strange expression I'm using now, couldn't see something that was beyond truth. Vachamim is beyond truth. Hence, and I repeat the halacha lemaisa, hein yekteleni lo ayachel, literally means, even though he, that's God, even though he kills me, not he said he's going to kill me, not he's planning to kill me. Even in while he's killing me, as I'm dying, lo ayachel. There's a contradiction here. Not even as the enemy kills me, I will hope to God. Even as God kills me, I will hope to God. Both things are from God. The decree is indeed a decree of God. And therefore your frumkite says, accept it. No. 
knowing that it's the decree of God, you still should withhold, you should restrain, you should depress your frumkite, depress your religiosity. It's the wrong religiosity. Even though he is killing me, to him, to the other side, to the side of Rachamim, that's halacha lemaisa for all of us in all positions in life that our hope and feet are planted in the mercy of God and we are surrounded by the decrees, laws, enactments of God, of nature, which is in God's hand. But nonetheless, we still hold on to the rope which goes beyond the situation in which we're found and it's connected to the infinite mercies of HaVakadosh Baruch That's the end of today's shiur. And now we're going to have the Midrash Hayomi, the daily Midrash. Okay, we're still in the war with Midian. It says, Vayishlach Ota Moshe. Moshe told the Jews to give a thousand people to each Shevet, as we saw yesterday, twelve thousand soldiers, and Moshe sent them out to war. The Midrash asks, Amara Kadosh Baruch Hu Moshe Nekom Nikmat B'nei Yisrael Ata Ba'atzmecha Hu Mishalech Et Acherim. When God had originally spoken to Moshe, He said to him, Moshe, revenge the revenge of the Jews from Midian. Moshe then goes to the Jews and says, give me 12,000 soldiers. The Midrash says, God told Moshe, you should take the revenge. So I think, obviously in Peshat, we all think that if God speaks to Moshe Benu and says, uh, do the following, he's speaking to him as the leader of the people. He, he should do it through whatever means are available, which means to send an army. But the Midrash is being very, very squared off here. God said to Moshe, revenge, the revenge of the Jews from Midian, and in the end, Moshe doesn't have anything to do with it. He tells other people to go. Perhaps the real crux of the question is that Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't even participate. Who mishaleach et achevim? Because the pasuk says, "Vayishalach ota Moshe." Moshe Rabbeinu sent them. Chazal understand the word "vayishalach" is he, he sent them away, and it's what's called "who mishaleach et achevim." He sends other people to do it. So Moshe Rabbeinu has nothing to do in the end with the war itself. The Midrash gives a, a very interesting answer. Elam Bipnation it gadel be'eretz midyan, amar ino bedin shani meitzar lemisha sabitova. Moshe Rabbeinu, as you remember, grew up or, or spent certain of his years, his early years, in the land of Midyan. Midyan was his political asylum when he fled from Paro. And therefore, Moshe said, it is not right, ino bedin, it is not right that I should attack, that I should trouble one who was good to me. Hamashal Omer, the well-known proverb says, Do not throw a stone into the well from which you have drunk. This is a very interesting Musa, backed up by a Musa proverb. It doesn't say that if someone is good to you, you should be good to them. Moshe Rabbeinu is sending an army to wipe out Midian. 
Okay, it's not exactly that he's being good to them. They're going to die one way or another. Apparently the fact that they had been good to him once does not overweigh the fact that they've been very bad now. And they've attacked the Jews and they've tried to undermine the religiosity, the spiritual status of the Jews and therefore God says they should be destroyed and Moshe Rabbeinu sends the army. It's a personal thing. It says you should not be the one. A, a, a well from which you have drunk, you should not throw a stone into it even if it's necessary for someone else to throw a stone in. In other words, let's say we decide we have to close up this well because we want to build a uh, yeshiva and the well is in the way. So you do it. But the person who drank from the water, he should not be the one to 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 seal the well, to, to throw the stone into the well. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, I am not going to be the one to lead the army against Midian. That would be improper. Someone else can do it. So what kind of Musa here? It's not the Musa of of uh, paying back good in return for good. Not that Moshe Rabbeinu owes the Midian something and therefore he pays them. He doesn't pay them at all. It has to do with himself. A person who who owes something to somebody, who's received good from somebody, so it's wrong for him to strike that person. Even if the person needs to be struck. This is, this is an example of, of, of Chazal's understanding of the complexity sometimes of morality. The fact that something needs to be done doesn't mean that you have to be the one to do it. It's right for someone else to do it and it's wrong for you. Because not that you have to show hakarata tov, you have to show gratitude. There's no gratitude involved here. You have to show, maybe he was better, you have to show hakarata tov. You have to show recognition of good. And a person who owes a debt to somebody else may not be able to pay it but he has to recognize it and recognition in the case of Moshe means not doing even as someone else someone else does it interestingly enough the Midrash has another opinion which he continues with second opinion said there's no question here because this Midyan is not the same Midyan that Moshe fled in Pashat Shemot because the, the Midian that Moshe fled to in Shemot was close to Mitzrayim, someplace in the Sinai. And this Midian is close to Moab, further north, since we know that Moab and Midian had planned the, 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 the plan of Pashat Barak together. W- w- why is the Midrash saying this? Apparently it's answered to the same question. Or it's undermining the question. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't uh, uh, hold back himself from attacking Midian because this was Midian in which he had grown. He hadn't grown up there at all. And, and therefore what? I think, I think that this Midrash is saying that if in fact Moshe Rabbeinu had grown up in the same Midian that he was now facing, not only would he have not participated, he wouldn't have gone to war at all. He had, he had a problem with God. But then it would have been real gratitude. He would have paid them back by saving them. But in fact he didn't know them anything and therefore there's no question. So the second opinion really does simplify the matter. I think the first opinion of Chazal is a beautiful one and a complicated one that says that I can owe you something I can't help you but I myself not from weakness not that I can't bear to see it's wrong I will not be the one to punish you even as I will not in any way inhibit somebody else from punishing you because it's right to punish you and justice will be done but I cannot be the one to bear this because I'll say the same thing way way back in the Makot that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do the Makah the play connected with water the Nile 
And Chazal say, why? Because the Nile had saved him when he was a little baby. So Aaron should hit the Nile and turn it into blood, but not Moshe. In other words, it gets hit anyhow. We're not going to save the Nile from turning into blood, but it's wrong for Moshe Rabbeinu to do it. Here too, it's wrong for Moshe Rabbeinu to strike against Midian when Midian had saved him. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Pashat Shavua, And you've been listening to KMTT, the Shur in Vesachet Brachot Halacha Agada, as well as the Daily Midrash, the Midrash Ayomi. This has been KMTT. Kimi Tzion Tetzei Torah. Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. This is as we break wishing you a call to the Bukata Torah Mitzion. Should have Tzion be Israel, be Eretz Israel, be Am Israel in your Tfilot. Kashpochu should do justice and victory and salvation for Am Israel quickly. Our Tfilot should be with the still. Remember, three soldiers. We're in captivity, one in Aza and two in Lebanon. Kishpochu should bring them home quickly to their families. V'natata shalom ba'aretz v'ateret nitzachon v'simcha l'chol yashveha. Kol tov and we'll be back tomorrow.